0: Thank you, Liz. That was great. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here. I want to really welcome you, and and I'm really glad to see everyone here. Um, uh, So last week and this week, Liz um, is is really helping us unpack what our vision and mission is to really give a fuller picture of of what this all looks like, how we're getting there, and what it means to actually um, engage with with, with this journey with God. Um, You know, too often... And, and this and this life of Christianity, um, it's it's easy to let that be compartmentalized into like one part of our life, and we won't want to do is actually see kind of whole life change and a whole life engage and and, and see our community actually thrive in, in a way that um, that is just that is something that we just haven't seen before. You know, this life with Christ continually evolves, continually grows, continually has new life. And so while there are seasons where we get stuck and there are seasons of dryness and seasons of where just of difficulty, those aren't intended to last. You know, that's actually part of the journey where we actually get to move forward. And so we want to facilitate a, a, uh, a process and, a, and uh, a life where we can actually all engage with that. So uh, thank you, Liz, for sharing that uh, with us. So really excited just for today and, and for seeing everyone as we get closer to uh, the school year starting, um, but also closer to summer ending, um, which is the key thing here. The heat, we're halfway through, y'all. We're halfway through. <laughs> and so uh, I was talking to uh, some friends uh, in Houston a couple of days ago that spent um, a, a g- about five years in Minnesota. And this time of year is like the one week of summer Minnesota has <laughs> for like the whole year. And so you know, it's a little different paradigm, but uh, but it's something we can <laughs> we can definitely appreciate. So, last week we we began this series on the divided kingdom uh, stories from the Book of Jeremiah, and and what we're doing with this with this with this Book of Jeremiah, this Old Testament prophetic book is like looking at some of the main themes in it, tying it to, to Jesus and, and what he talked about with it, and then seeing what it looks like for us today. And so uh, sometimes, wh- if you've ever read the Bible through, sometimes getting through the prophets, um, which is what this section of the Bible is called, is like, can be a bit daunting, <laughs> right? It can be a bit cumbersome. And so what I'm hoping is to actually provide just kind of, okay, what is the main and plane of what's going on here in this book, and what actually... Did, so Jesus referenced it, um, but then also, okay, so what does that all mean for today? Because we don't just want information, right? We don't just want to know knowledge. We actually want to see um, uh, changes in our life, and we want to we be able to engage with what God is doing in um, our lives and the lives of our families and in our communities. And so uh, our starting point last week was on the history of Israel uh, and when Israel divided, and, they, and, they, and there was the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And so we had these two kingdoms that were divided, and Jeremiah's first mission that we see in his book is actually to reunite these two kingdoms, the the one from the north and the one from the south. The one from the north uh, kept the name Israel, and it's where we we get the the word Samaritan from because that was a capital city of Samaria, and then the southern kingdom was called Judah. And so they were still about uh, even in size, they were pretty close, and so... this, This mission that Jeremiah had was critical. You know, what we talked about last week is that before anything else, before talking about Israel's behavior or them turning back to God, all these kind of things we like to focus on in Christianity, like character, the first thing that Jeremiah did says, first, we have to come back together. We can no longer be divided. And so with that, we got a deeper understanding of the parable of the Good Samaritan within this context. Because, like, if you read just the parable by itself, you know, there's a lot we miss. And, and really understood the audacity of this teaching. And then we work through tilling our hearts to not seek sameness, but unity. And we pose these questions. What if the unity God is looking for is not dependent on someone agreeing with me? or doing the things the way I want them done? What if unity is defined by our desire to put the interests of the whole above the interests of self? What if unity didn't require same thinking or same believing? It was hard for the disciples to not follow the same person of Jesus, regardless of their difference. They had very different beliefs, the disciples, very different views on how the world worked there could not be any group of people further from each other in their belief systems and yet they followed jesus through it all so can we do the same so today so that was last week so you should check out last week's online when you get a chance if you missed it today we're going to go deeper as we seek god to transform our own hearts to give us new eyes and, and stronger affection I want to start today with this promise in Jeremiah that is given to the divided Israel of how important it is to return together. And so as I read this, I want you to keep this in mind as we venture through today. And and we're going to come back to this uh, at the end. So Jeremiah 31, 1 through 5. In that day, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel. So he's talking to both sides right now, all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says, those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings even in the barren land, for I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will be happy and dance merrily with your tambourines. Again, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and eat from your own gardens there. So when I was, I, when I was in college, I, I, I went to Southern, and, um, I, I, and one of my core courses was, was jazz history. And, and so we start from like the late uh, 1800s to, to the present, and, as I, and, and I remember in this course, it was, it was one of my favorite classes throughout my entire time in college Um, because like jazz is like the foundation of American music. And so I just I loved every bit of this of this jazz history class. And so I remember one day in class we were looking at some videos and some photos from some from some jazz artists from from the 40s and 50s. And something stuck out to me right away some of these clubs and these venues were mixed. There were blacks and whites there, and they were just dancing and jamming together. Now, there's no secret what was going on in the 40s and 50s, right? And so to see this take place, like, it was amazing to me that that people could come together And all of that, that divided them, just didn't matter because the music was so good. Because there was something more important there. And I I never forgot that moment. I never forgot that day. Because it spoke so much to me of, like, what's possible when there's something in common. Something that runs deeper than the things that divide us. So I want to look at this parable again that we started last week because there's there's a few more layers to it. Um, Before we do that, though, I want to look at what prompted Jesus to tell this story. See, in the parable, it says in reply. So it's like something prompted Jesus to tell this story. So let's look at that. It's it's Luke 10, 35. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what's written in the law? how do you read it? He answered, this is the expert in the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? So when we see expert in the law, that's just basically a way of saying a lawyer, okay? So for present day, think of this person as a lawyer, um, and they, and they, they study the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the, of, of the Bible, and they, they were expert in it, and their job was to interpret and define things. And so he's coming to Jesus, and, and he, so as, as lawyers do, he wanted definition, he does not want ambiguity, right? If there's anything you learn about lawyers that they want definition. I remember when I was, when I used to do music contracts um, and like work with like labels and, and, and publishers, and just like, I would, I would, I would look at the contract and I would call my, my lawyer friend. I'm like, dude, this says the same thing, like 25 different ways. <laughs> there's always like all this definition. Lawyers want definition. But he's also like, okay, he's trying to discover what, what he must do. Like, okay, what is the requirement here? So that's why he's asked, and so who is my neighbor? What is the requirement? Who can I leave out here, and who who must I love that way? You know, it's just like if you've ever had a teenager or taught a teenager, it's like, what's the minimum I can do right now to pass this class to make you not yell at me? (laughs) <laughs> so I don't get in trouble. What is, what is the minimum I can do, right? I remember one time I had an intern um, at, um, at my company years ago, and I had to go off to a meeting, and a few hours later, um, I had another meeting back at the studio, so I said, hey, I need you to straighten up a little bit. He's like, okay, so I left. I came back an hour later, and he literally straightened up. Didn't throw any of the trash away, just like got it nice and neat. <laughs> Didn't actually clean up anything. Just moved it into a better place on the floor. I was just like, "Oh son, I don't I don't know what to do with you right now. <laughs> Life is going to be hard for you right now." Anyway, so looking for this definition, right? Looking for this what is what is the minimum I have to do? And so but often we do the same thing. As, as, as adults, as Christians, we try to find our own definitions and lines, because they keep us comfortable, they keep us safe. And so let's, let's quickly look at this understanding of, of neighbor. And so even though in the English it says neighbor, that actually has multiple meanings, um, especially in, in a Hebrew context. And so remember, these are Hebrews talking. And so even though this is Greek, this, this is a Hebrew understanding. And so there are really two different understandings of neighbor, okay, and, and, and Hebrew culture. So the first understanding is a neighbor is not just necessarily a literal neighbor. It can be. But it's someone who's in your tribe. It's someone that you have intimate relationship with. It's someone that's it's one of us, whatever that us means for you. So that's one definition and one understanding of neighbor. There is a second understanding and a second definition of neighbor in the Hebrew context, and it basically means another human being. Like neighbor also has an understanding of another human being, kind of this universal understanding of someone else. And so in this question, I think it's safe to say that we can go with option two here, that when we're talking about neighbor, when Jesus is talking about neighbor, he's talking about everyone, not just those in our tribe. Because if we take other parts of where Jesus is talking, he makes it pretty clear. He says, What good is it to love just your family and friends? Even wicked people do that. He was like, No, to, 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 to love your neighbor as yourself means everyone. And so, given he said that somewhere else in the scripture, it's safe to say that as he's talking to this lawyer, he wants, he, he, he has a wider definition than just our tribe. So let's read this parable again and see how Jesus responded to the question, so who is my neighbor? Luke 10, 30, uh, 30 to 37. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him uh, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own docking, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. After that, The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, good, go and do likewise. Now, last week, we we talked about just the audacity of this parable, because Judeans, who Jesus was talking to in this parable, and Samaritans were ethnic enemies. There was, a, there, was a, there was a hatred for each other that went back for centuries. So for Jesus to actually teach this was just mind-boggling. We learned in Jeremiah that the division of Judeans, uh, of the division of Judeans and Samaritans and how God was trying to reunite them. And here again, we see Jesus trying to reunite them and to this time ask the Judeans to make the move. So before God was saying, hey, Samaria, I want you to come back. And now Jesus is saying, hey, Jude, I want you to make the move. So what what does all this mean for us? We've talked about trying to set our own definitions, right, our own lines. So I have a couple questions. Is the immigrant our neighbor? Is the refugee our neighbor? Is the Muslim our neighbor? Is the Democrat our neighbor? How about the rich CEO? Is that our neighbor? The gun owner? the atheist, the Republican, are those our neighbors? How about the young black girl at Glen Oaks High School? Or the white kid at Parkview Baptist? Or the brown kid at Baton Rouge High? Are these our neighbors? The list goes on, right? Of all the different peoples and groups that we all have opinions on. So, what I want you to do is resist the urge to espouse the normal Christian verbal response. Because we all know what to say, we all know what we should say, what we should be doing, and we even say, usually with conviction and ourselves, that I do love that person with a Christ-like love. I do, because I'm supposed to. I know that I do. But I would challenge that notion. Because while you and even me may genuinely believe that, our actions don't always reflect it. Once again, as you said last week, we tend to tie our political, geographical, and cultural identities to our faith beliefs, and they're not the same thing. I would also challenge that notion because we cannot love from a distance. We can't be a neighbor to someone when our hearts are far away from them. And so I want to get beyond what we say and what 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 we say our values and our beliefs are and actually get to the core. Because what's happening on The outside of us is not reflecting what we say on the inside. And I'm not immune here. I'm not saying, oh, this is y'all and not me. No, we're all in this. We all have this work to do. God's love and compassion is universal. That is of no question. Yet at the same time, it is intimate. What seems downright impossible We as a people know how to form intimate relationships, but it has not yet become, at the same time, universal. We chant our universal love, but our intimate love is restricted to those who are on our side. God wants to form genuine affection in us. But it starts with a desire in ourselves, a seeking after God and emotion to not separate, but join. Look, right now, 21st century Western culture, 21st century U.S. America, our existence is baked in opinions. It is. There's nothing wrong with opinions. I have many of them. Just spend some time with me. You'll hear them all. But in order to get to this place of caring for those we can't stand, it requires us to get behind the opinions, to hear the story of another person, because I've seen it over and over, two people who are as far away as they can be, when they hear each other's story, things change. We have to get beyond the opinions. I want to look at another passage really quickly in Luke. It's actually right before this story in Luke 9. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. They go to a Samaritan village. And like hospitality in this culture is everything, right? And so they did not welcome them. They they did not welcome them into their homes Probably because they were Judeans for no other reason. Like, th- that was it. Because of this ethnic divide. Because of this cultural divide. And what do James and John? James and John, sons of thunder, they are nicknamed. It's no secret they had some anger issues. James and John, the pillars of faith in Christianity, the fathers of the faith, respond Father Jesus, can we call fa- fire down for Harry and blow the whole thing up? Let's nuke him, Jesus! Let's nuke him. This was their response <laughs> to a Samaritan town. This was not hyperbole. Like y'all. <laughs> There's something there, right? There's, is there not something there that we see today? Is there not something there that we don't see every day right now, that same kind of response? After this, after this happens, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. After this happens. See, people say all the time, well, if Jesus was here today, he would be this or that politically. But let me tell you what, if Jesus was a Republican, he'd be telling stories about Democrats. If he was a, a Democrat, he'd be telling stories about Republicans because where they are, the heroes. And the list goes on. Whatever we think about Jesus, he'd be doing the opposite because he wants to see us come together. The prophet Jeremiah was so passionate about this He got really annoying to people. He would lie in the street. Like, literally. He's in the middle of the street, on the ground, lying. Come back! Come back! He was a menace to society. They couldn't stand him. They jailed him. They flogged him. They didn't want anything to do with it. See, because the current system was working for them. And even though it was wrong and unjust towards the larger community, they'd rather have kept things the way they were than hear what God was asking them to do. See, Jeremiah had to endure a lot for his message. He had to face a lot as he tried to drive the two groups back together and drive them towards God. So this parable does something more. So the lawyer was asking, who was my neighbor? So he could have a narrow, specific definition, right? Jesus' response wasn't, okay, here's the list. Here's the contract. It said at the end, The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus' response should lead us to ask, not who is my neighbor, but who can I be a neighbor to? Who's someone that I despise? Okay, let's use another word because we never want to admit that we actually don't like someone or despise another person, right? So who, who, who don't I like that actually might be able to express the love of Jesus that I hadn't known before? So J- Jesus is telling this parable to the Judeans. And so this Samaritan in this parable is expressing the love of Jesus. This people who they said can't possibly express the love of God. Jesus is saying, quite in fact, they do. And so who can I be a neighbor to that might be able to express the love of Jesus that I hadn't known before? And there's more to the story. It wasn't just what the Samaritan did. it's, It's who he did it for. So the story was told To the Judeans. A Judean in this story was the victim here in this story and was cared for by the Samaritan. So maybe it isn't just who I can be a neighbor to, but what could they be in my life? What am I missing out on? Is there something more than this that I am ignoring? because of our differences. You know, I remember the great flood. (laughs) And we, we all remember this, but I just remember how much we all came together. It was amazing. Do the same in hurricanes. We do the same when, I, when our very lives are on the line and the lives of our city is on the line. But y'all, I want us to go beyond crisis. It can't take a crisis for us to get beyond the differences. It just has to be something we do something that's just a part of us. You see, this this promise in Jeremiah, this thing that Jeremiah was getting them to understand was that when we come together, not only is God going to bless us, but he's going to bless the entire world through us. That was the whole mission of Israel throughout the entire Old Testament, for God to bless them so they could bless the world. And in the same way, through Jesus' church, if we can come together with all the different differences, and God will bless us, how will we then be able to bless our community and bless our world? You remember that scripture from above? It's a promise God makes. It's his heart towards his beloved about what is possible if they will return together and return towards him. To experience that deep love of God in ourselves is something that is beyond comprehension. It is a dream to be at peace and at rest, and it's something that is possible beyond what we know now if we choose to pursue God in this way. Let's look at some practical tips. Identify your honest feelings about another person or group. Honesty is key here right, because if we just, like, do the, the normal things, like, we can't actually do this work. Like, if we're not honest about, hey, I actually have this gut reaction when I think about this person, when I think about this group, right, like, so we got we to get past the denial, and just, because we never want to be accused of anything, right, we never want to feel, like, guilty or, like, wrong for, like, having certain thoughts or beliefs, I get that, but we have to go there and not stay there, right? So, like, there's a, there is a point of, of guilt. Like, we talk a lot about not having guilt or shame. Like, that's important. But there is a point of, of guilt to acknowledge and recognize, and then we can move on. And then we can move through. So I want us to get to this place. Okay, let me be real about what I feel about this person or this group. As I read that list off earlier, what was my initial reaction? And if you say... You have no problem with no one, with no group, or no person. You might be the first one ever since Jesus. John said, if if you if you say you're on sin, you're a liar, right? Like it's just like come, on, you know. So we gotta be honest about that. Right? None of us lives in a silo. None of us lives in a vacuum. Like, we've all been raised with biases and preferences, and sometimes they, take it, they, they go too far. And so let's just be real about it, because this work only happens as Christ engages us and as we allow him to. Like, sometimes we need information, and sometimes we need to to, to, to learn more about something, but sometimes we need to just go straight to the heart and say, okay, Lord, here I am. I, this is where I'm really at, and I, I, I probably shouldn't be there, and I'm sorry. Help me, help me not feel this way. Bring me truth in this. And invite Christ into that place and ask him to bring truth insight and a softness of heart towards that person or group and so when I say person I'm not I could be it could be a particular person but I also really want us to focus on any kind of group and there might be a person that represents that group for you but there's a group for everyone that's just the way our world exists right now listen as you do this it's not about being right right So that's the thing. We get into these conversations because we want to be right. Like, no, I'm right. (laughs) This this is the right way. It's not about being right, it's about being willing to acknowledge our human frailty and trust there's more God wants to do in us. Okay, number two do one thing for someone else that you would not normally interact with. Y'all, now it gets real. Like, that first one I could do, (laughs) because that was just like, I could do that at home by myself. I don't actually talk to anyone. This is where the rubber meets the road. Find someone specifically not in your geopolitical circle. Key word, geopolitical circle. Someone not a part of your tribe. And go and engage with them in some way or do something to help them. So these two practical tips aren't to be done linearly. You can't do one and do the other. They're gonna be done at the same time because they're gonna work together, okay? Because that first one is like, that's a lot of times of work. (laughs) And that second one is gonna be happening as you're doing that. Okay, let's stand. So as we get ready to enter into communion I um I want to remind us that the communion table is is a place to encounter the very redemptive nature of Christ. Like the Passover which the communion place is all about redemption the redemption that Jesus brings, the redemption he has for us and the redemption he has for the whole world. And so as we take communion, I want you to just kind of bare your soul right now and allow Christ to empower you in the journey towards being a neighbor. Not asking who my neighbor is, but asking who I can be a neighbor to. Because it's going to take the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit, to actually make that possible. And so I want to engage today in communion. And here at the Vineyard, we practice open communion. And so what that means is, if you are compelled, if you want to meet Jesus today, if you want to actually do this, you are welcome. No one is excluded. And if you're like, hey, I actually don't know anything about this Christian thing or this Jesus thing, but, but I, I, I want to meet Jesus He's been doing something in me today, and I want to meet him. The table is open for you, because Jesus' table is open to everyone. And so we welcome you. There's a station under each projector and a station in the back. They're all gluten-free for those who have an allergy. Let's let's engage with, with God right now through communion and worship and allow him to do some work inside of us.